Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The following episode of Long Night with Vish Khanna was recorded on Friday, March 13th, 2015. Coming to you live from the Great Hall in Toronto, Canada. It's Long Night with Beach Kana. <laughs> on tonight's show, from Shadowy Man on a Shadowy Planet, Don Pyle. <laughs> Toronto poet, Damien Rogers. <laughs> Kid in the Hall and star of Hannibal, Scott Thompson is here. My name is James Keast, and please welcome to the stage, he's the Lucius to my cookie, Vishal Khanna! Hi guys. Hello. Good evening and welcome to the season finale of Long Night, everybody. Ah. It's also the uh, season finale of Long Winter. Yeah, I know, it's sad. But it does mean that spring is right around the corner. And that romance is in the air. Huh? Yeah. Birds and the bees are uh, having sex with each other or whatever. It's good. I, uh, it actually reminds me of when I was uh, in university, a young man in university, had my first serious girlfriend. And when my mother discovered this, she, uh, she gave me a really helpful piece of relationship advice. White women only want you for your money. <laughs> Not only is this a thing that my mother actually said to me, I think we can all agree it's probably true. <laughs> you gotta be careful what you say to your kids. Um, you gotta be careful what you say to anyone's kids. Uh, I have a, a boy, he's gonna be four this summer. I have a, a three and a half month old daughter and uh, even before they existed, I came to learn through trial and error that you have to be careful what you say to kids because they don't get everything and you could say something to them and if they misunderstand it, at the very least, you could scar them for life and it's not good. My son and I recently uh, ran into a woman I vaguely know and she congratulated me on the birth of our daughter, which was very nice, but then she leaned into my son and she said, hey buddy, are you excited to have a sister? And to you and me, that seems like a fairly harmless question, right? Because we're adults who mostly understand how the English language works. But to kids, 
it doesn't always compute. They, they, they're processing language at such an alarming rate that they don't always know what's appropriate. For example, my, uh, my, my wife the other night made us dinner, served it to my son. He took a bite out of it, and he said, Mama, I tried the stew, and it was a little bit disgusting. <laughs> That's how kids talk, right? They don't know what to say all the time. They're like miniature Larry Davids, just kind of <laughs> wandering around terrorizing us. Are you excited to have a sister? I could see my son processing this question because it's the first time that having a sister was ever presented to him as an option. Up until this point, he rightly assumed he didn't have much choice in the matter. Are you excited to have a sister? He thought about it, and then he responded, no? Like that, like half answer, half question, which is a reasonable response, I think, for my son. And it would have been really awkward between this woman and my son had she not had this gem of a follow-up question. Is it because she's a girl? I'm like, what the hell, lady? Why are you trying to implant this into my son? <laughs> oh, you don't like uh, having a sister? How long have you been a tiny, hateful, sexist little boy? <laughs> uh, I mentioned that spring is coming up and the weather's warming up. Uh, by show of applause, how many people here are going to take advantage of this by spending time in their own homes naked? Anybody? Anybody like? Yeah. I, uh, I'm with you. I love being naked in my house. I love letting everything hang out, air out, whatever needs to happen. It's great. If you ever stop by my house, actually, uh, there's a good chance uh, it might resemble a subpar Playgirl mansion. It's, uh, it's nice. It's nice. I, I have been enjoying it up until recently because my, uh, my son gave me this uh, nickname, Papa Big Brown Penis. Which, as far as nicknames that I wouldn't mind, you know, having catch on, it's not that bad. It's pretty flattering, but to hear my son say it, it makes me a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Wife, yes, son, no, I think, for that nickname. Uh, interesting postscript for that story. Uh, last Wednesday, I, I went on Facebook and Twitter, and I tried to make a joke about this. I, my, I put out there that, uh, pretty self-conscious about my new nickname, Papa Brown Penis. And I added big tonight for your pleasure, so <laughs> you're welcome. Anyway, all seems good. I put it up on Wednesday. People are liking it and talking about it. It's, it's fine. But then on Saturday morning, I get a call from my mother. And she goes, uh, Vishal, your dad and I are a little concerned because he went on your Facebook and he said that you said that somebody called you brown dick. Vishal, that is not appropriate. For someone to call you brown dick, that is not right. You should tell them not to call you brown dick. My mother must have said brown dick 56 times in a row, which first thing Saturday morning, not good. Not good for me. And it just seemed relentless. She's like, seriously, Vishal, brown dick in this day and age, you know, with all the progress we've made, the strides that we have made as a people, have they not seen the film Gandhi? Or even the Darjeeling Limited? Come on. It's terrible. You should tell them that it's not right and that it's socially unacceptable. And also, uh, in case you've forgotten, white women only want you for your money. Love you. Bye. We have an excellent show for you, ladies and gentlemen. I, uh... Yeah. Myself and my tremendous brown penis have an excellent show for you tonight. <laughs> on the program, Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet's Don Pyle joins us. 
Also, Canadian uh, poet extraordinaire Damien Rogers is on the show. We have the star, one of the stars of each, uh, rather NBC's Hannibal, and also a member of the Kids in the Hall. Scott Thompson is here. And we have a musical performance by Toronto's own Overnight. We'll be right back after these messages. Say hello to the bicycles, everyone. Thanks for being here. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Penguins of Madagascar 2, Backward Class, Mr. Turner, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Cabaret, Dolphin Tale 2, Chasing Ice, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Red Army, Duke of Burgundy, Secret Trial 5, and more. It's March break. Lots of movies. On Sunday, April 19th at Harcourt United Church, Michael Harris reads from Party of One about Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper and this country's radical makeover. On Friday, March 20th, the E-Bar hosts a live tribute to the Kinks. I'm supposed to sing the song Power Man, by the way. The bookshelf has an independently owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. More information about their hours, listings, blogs, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca. Welcome back to Long Night. Thanks for being here once again. It's our season finale, and uh, I'd like to introduce you to my sidekick, James Keast, everyone. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. Good monologue. Well done. Now, thank you very much. Now, we're in this literal black box tonight. I'm a little creeped out by it. How so? Well, you see, I mean, it's Friday the 13th. We have the star of Hannibal on the show, and, uh, and I arrive, and there's this new stage and all sorts of hidden nooks and crannies back there and weird curtains and cubicles, and I don't know what's going on under these stairs, and I, you know, I just think something weird might be happening. I wasn't That's, frightened until you said all that stuff. I, you know, I'm just saying. I was totally fine. I know. I apologize to anyone who comes I to the show. I just put it together as I sat down. Yeah. Uh-oh. I'm sorry if anyone comes to the show regularly. It's, is everyone comfortable? Can you see the show? Is everything all right? I know it's a little different. We, uh, we embrace change on Long Night. I think that's the new motto. James? I fear change. Our first guest tonight is a punk rock historian whose photo book, which I have here, Trouble in the Camera Club, documents the rise of underground music in Toronto in the uh, mid-1970s. He's also a busy musician and producer who's overseen records by Flesh World and TV Freaks and scored uh, shows like Queer as Folk and films like the forthcoming Portrait of a Serial Monogamist. His band, Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, is one of the most significant to ever call Canada home. And at some point in the future, the American label Yep Rock will be reissuing their three albums. I have copies of them right here. This is Sport Fishing. You can, when, when you cheer, cheer for them in, in terms of how much you like each one so we can compare. Sport fishing, we have here uh, Savvy Showstoppers. And uh, here we have uh, Dim the Lights, Chill the Hand. Not a sport fishing crowd. Weird. That's what we learned. Please put your hands together for Don Pyle, everybody. 
Hi, Don. Thank you. That one's actually my favorite. I know. I like it, too. I like this one, too. I was surprised by the callous response from the audience. They didn't seem as into that one. How's your winter been going? It's been, uh, I've barely been out of the house. I've been working a lot. I've been in the studio a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you seem to be working quite a lot. I have been working since last spring. I've barely left the house since last spring. Well, it's nice of you to come out for our show. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, your history with punk rock. Uh, When punk rock made its way to Toronto, you decided that someone should document what was happening. And I'm curious, why did you feel compelled to do this? Well, uh, I was going to all these shows at the very beginning of, you know, what people call punk rock before it was even sort of called punk rock. And, um, you know, I had like an Instamatic camera and I'd been taking pictures since I was like four years old of just, you know, everything, gerbils and... uh, Gerbils? My my sisters. Honestly, I have... uh, Gerbils. A fantastic collection of 1960s photographs of snakes, dogs... Hamsters, rabbits, cats, dogs, everything. You were you um, were seeing yourself going down some sort of childish National Geographic route. Well, it was it was what was in my home. And, oh, okay. You know, they, they were they were the the you know things that I loved in my home, so I was uh, photographing them a lot. Okay. Um, and uh, so I was just taking pictures of, of lots of different stuff, buildings. I've got lots of great pictures, uh, just like Instamatic photos from uh, from the '60s and early '70s, and then. Um, after I saw the Ramones at the New Yorker in 1976, I had taken my little Instamatic camera and a 8mm uh, movie camera, mm-hmm. like not even Super 8, 8mm, and uh, when I saw the results afterwards, like the 8mm uh, the film, you know, I didn't know that you need like really bright lights like this. I'd never used a camera before, uh, a movie camera, and when I got the film back, all you can see is Joey Ramone's knee... The white knee, you know. It's a good darkness. knee, man. And it's one just, of the best knees, if I might say. And just a glint of, like, chrome moving in the darkness. I mean, it looks neat, but uh, uh, it's, uh, it wasn't great. And, you know, little Instamatic photos of, of the Ramones. And um, so I was 14 when that happened. And, uh, you know, coinciding with me getting my first job and sort of, like, first, like, real money. So the first thing I did was save up for a camera. And it just happened that my age and when I got a first job and everything coincided with all this stuff happening. So after seeing the Ramones and seeing how terrible my pictures were from that, I bought the uh, uh, 35 millimeter camera. Okay, so it was just you were going to a Ramones show and you decided to take photos and that kickstarted what we see in, in this book, basically. Yeah, I was just like, you know, a super nerd. Like I really was into photography and was learning how to develop photos and print photos and, uh, you know, do processing of uh, film. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I would just shoot lots of stuff. You but know? can you articulate why this movement, like punk in Toronto, why that, that appealed to you? Like, were you playing music at the time? Um, really, since I was about, like, 16 years old, I was trying to start a band, but I didn't really, like, know how, and I couldn't play an instrument, so you'd be the singer when you can't do that. So <laughs> the first band I was in, I was a singer uh, when I was 17. and uh, Was that uh, Crash Kills 5? or Crash Kills 9. Crash Kills 9, nine. right, nine. sorry. Before, before, before Crash Kills 5. Right. Uh, anyway, stupid details. <laughs> uh, so, you know, why this thing was because it was fast, exciting music that was, like, so different from, um, you know, all the things that, you know, we all knew of as being, like, rock shows up to that point. Because, mm-hmm. you know, at, at 
12 years old or whatever, like, you know, a rock show to me was something that was at, you know, Maple Leaf Gardens or the CNE Grandstand. So uh, there's, you know, uh, the whole like bar thing and club thing. At that time, drinking age was 21. So, um, you know, that was totally out of reach for me. You know, I couldn't go see bands and I was totally into music and wanted to go see bands a lot. So really it was like, you know, when the first time that I could go see bands was coinciding with the beginning of uh, punk rock and places like the Crash and Burn where they didn't ask for ID and, uh, you know, some of the other clubs, it um, it was all coinciding with that. And, like, why punk rock? I guess, like, it wasn't even, like, punk rock. It was just, like, I was into all these things that totally led to punk rock, like David Bowie and Martha Hoople and, you know, Sparks and all those things that, and Modern Lovers that were totally laying the groundwork, um, that were, you know, really were, punk rock was just totally an extension of all yeah. those, those things, you know. And you've seen, like, in all, you've been in Toronto your entire life, basically, right? Basically, <laughs> yeah, like, totally. Totally, <laughs> yeah. Contrary to popular beliefs. I was born up the street here. Oh, yeah? Yep. At the Pizza Pizza? Yeah. <laughs> Served hot and fresh? No. Yeah, Toronto Western Hospital. Were you delivered in 30 minutes or less, Don? I've got it, it was almost. My mother told me she went to the doctor that morning. I have more mileage out of this pizza thread than I could probably... My mother be. went to the doctor that, that morning, and he said it'll be any time now, and she said that when she had me, that she was lucky she didn't have me in, my, in her boots. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah so my daughter was, was like that, was too. Just shot right rest. out of there yeah. very quickly. Yeah, sort of terrible cool. image to give to this crowd. You've seen Toronto's arts community ebb and flow over the years. Um, this might be a slightly navel-gazy question, but the Long Winter Crew has been doing its best to reflect what's going on in the city, um, but I also think also to galvanize different arts realms. Like we, it's like it tries to be a multidisciplinary thing. Is this comparable to anything that was going on when punk first arrived here? Because I know that it was a gathering of misfits who didn't normally or necessarily have that place to gather before. Is there some way to compare the two? Well, I guess, you know, you can't really compare most things then to now because there are so many things that have, like, just revolutionized everything. Obviously, like the Internet, cell phones, digital technology, uh, all of those things. So, you know, you come to something like this, and it's so organized, and people are so savvy about... So you think. Get, uh, you know, like, from the outside. I mean, you know... If, no, no, yeah, if, it is, yeah. You know, there's, there's, you know, web pages for it, a website. A, I had these mugs made. A Facebook page, a, a, mug, a wristband. You got I mean, your own mug. Look two, at this. Two wristbands. Two wristbands, though. That's Th organized. That's, yeah. that's the difference between 1978 and now. Wristbands. Two, I mean, control, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, um, things were a totally different scale then. Uh, people were not so, like, adept at, um, you know, kind of... Uh, People are like super savvy about everything now. I mean, we, we have access to every type of culture, every type of mix of culture, and um, uh, in that way, things now are, you know, totally different. And, you know, lots of ways people are, you know, kind of bored before they get to the show now, right. you know? Uh, um, <laughs> I like that. You guys were all so bored before you got here. Now you're excited. It, it was, uh, you can't even compare the two. You can't I mean, compare th th them, really. This is so, like, um, this draws on the history of so many things. Yeah. And, you know, obviously everybody here has learned from so many things in the past. And, um, you know, what is amazing about uh, The Long Winter is that it's not just music, that it brings together art and music, which I think was, 
is an idea that was uh, very much a part of punk rock and at different times in Toronto is kind of like surged to the forefront where art and um, you know, music really meet and people kind of like understand the connections of, of those things. And, um, you know, there's lots of ways now. It, it always has to kind of like, you know, reinvent itself. Like I think that it went through a real crisis or has gone through a real crisis with uh, digital technology, with people not having physical objects that connect them to art, you know, like, yeah. like that there's not, uh, you know, you can't look at this cover and go, oh my God, like Andy Warhol, like, you know, put the zipper in this cover. Or, or you know, who took that photograph of Patti Smith? Right. Um, so you know, we ha we ha all of the things that we see now are, you know, s about music are so web based and digital based that they're and they're fast. You know, it's like you know, you get a Patti Smith album in 1976, and you look at two pictures for two years until another one. Now it's like you know, click and you look at thousands. That's true. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We're running out of time in this fast-paced culture that we live in. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about how Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet actually started and started. your connection to Kids in the Hall. I know, it, it's, I know, <laughs> I know. Um, maybe we can get to the Kids in the Hall connection at least. Well, uh, well, there's a lot of overlap there at the beginning because uh, the other three guys, or the other two guys who were in Shadowy Men uh, were from Calgary. Yeah. Reed Diamond and Brian Connolly, and uh, uh, a third guy, Alex Koch, who was a drummer, and they moved to Toronto, and we became a band called Crash Kills Five. They had been a band in Calgary called right. Buick McCain, and, you know, I was pen pals, blah, 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 blah. Uh, <laughs> um, so they moved to Toronto, and they were like kind of the, uh, there was a guy named Steve Koch who has played in tons of bands, uh, you know, the Vile Tones, the Handsome Neds, he plays in the Ugly Now and the Screwed, and uh, a lot of bands and Steve was the first guy from the sort of like the small small like eight-person punk rock scene in Calgary uh, to come to Toronto you know who like was like literally escaping for their for their lives um, and then uh, uh, Brian Connolly and Reed Diamond followed soon after and I was the only person they knew here so we were hanging a lot around a lot they were you know basically living in my mother's basement and then their friends started coming, and their friends included Bruce McCullough from, uh, <coughs> uh, who you know went on to be in Kids in the Hall. Bruce stayed in my, my mother's basement as well. I remember like the first time I met Bruce, you know he arrived from Calgary and uh, wanted to have a shower and went, you know had a shower and came out and he said came back. Uh, I remember him distinctly saying, "I left some pubic hair on the soap for your mother." <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, at, at 16 years old, I was like, I, what? I, uh, uh, uh. And, uh, you so know. So he had it even then. He had that spark. Yeah. So this long. <laughs> you know, Bruce was a total, I don't know if he's totally different. He was a very different person then. And, you know, he writes about it in the book that he just uh, put out. You know, that he was like a, Bruce was a bodybuilder. Yeah, that's and, right. Like, drove like muscle cars and stuff like that. And, uh, um, so, you know, him and Reed were really good friends, and in his TV show, the two characters are Bruce McCullough and Reed Diamond. That's right. The, the show is called Young Drunk Punk. Yeah, Young Drunk Punk. It's out, it's out now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, the other character is, is Reed. Uh, this means a lot to Bruce. I just had a conversation with him. This connection to Shadowy Men, beyond, like, everyone kind of, I think by this point, knows that you guys scored the Kids in the Hall show, essentially, but I think the, that relationship you had early on really 
was formative for him and means the world to him. Well, you know, we were all just doing our thing and all like totally just helping each other out. Like, you know, we had started like right at the same time. And so we were playing at their live shows with them, doing the Rivoli shows with them, and uh, you know, scoring the odd things. And Reed was actually, Reed had gone to, to uh, uh, college to do theater tech. Mm-hmm. And so Reed was their first, like he was their, their theater tech. Oh, okay. And so you know, they were playing places like The Poor Alex to you know, three people. There's a scene that uh, Bruce, again, writes about in his book about them taping jelly donuts to the bottom of the chair. That's right. At, at the theater, and I was at that show. This is pre-Oprah, by the way. Yeah. And you know when we when we started doing stuff with the kids in the hall, like we were more popular than they were, and, right? And then you know we still are, and uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, so uh, you know we did various shows with them, and then a theater show at Factory Theater just down the street, mm-hmm. and um, and that uh, eventually led to you know the pilot and then the series and yeah. stuff like that. So it was a totally you know natural relationship. It was not uh, you know an audition thing, and. Uh, you know the kids fought for us to have to be on that show. Yeah. Um, when uh, uh, when we first started doing the tapings, you know there would be like a taping and then a, a break and then they would do the same series of, of skits all over again. You know, so they'd have dress like rehearsal the, and then the real. No, it would be like oh, they would okay. you know edit together the best of oh, I see. of okay. uh, of those things. And uh, one of the sh- the early shows, Lauren Michaels came up for, and we ran into him like in a parking lot. Uh, off of College Street, and he stopped and like looked at us, and he said, "You'll find this show makes you very popular." <laughs> and that was the only thing he said to us. <laughs> That's a, and, the, uh, and but we also <laughs> were told from other people that Lauren didn't want us because we sounded like cheap porno music. Which <laughs> he's kind of a rich guy. His porn taste is a bit high level compared to other people. Well, we're out of time, Don. Unfortunately, but before we go, can you give us an update on the Shadowy Men box set? Yeah, and, we're and gonna, the we're reissues. Do a box set. We signed a deal with uh, Yup Rock Records, uh, the uh, label out of North Carolina. There's going to be a box comes out that is the three albums plus a uh, fourth album that is uh, another compilation of soundtrack things, singles, uh, rarities and stuff. John Peel sessions, oh, CBS nice. Brave New Wave sessions, and. That kind of junk. So, uh, do we have a timeline on this thing? Because you and I have been talking oh about this God. for years. You know, years, really, I think. The, the thing that's holding it up. There's two things holding it up. Uh, the CBC, because the CBC and yeah, the yeah, I've been there, my friend. And the BBC, <laughs> where uh, there's there's tracks for turn a license from BBC and CBC, and everything's waiting to go, waiting for for oh. those those two tracks. And so our plans just keep getting stalled and stalled, waiting for. You know, there's no one home at the CBC. You phone, and the the phone just rings and rings. Mm. Give me the name. I'll try and track this down for you. I can probably. I, I always take care of this. like imagining like what's going on at the other end. That is just like this vast empty office with one phone <laughs> ringing. <laughs> well, uh, you can follow Don Pyle on Twitter at TroublePunk. Don't follow me on Twitter. I've sent like six tweets ever. Please follow Don Pyle <laughs> at TroublePunk. Don Pyle, thanks for being on the show. Stick around, Sorry. right? No, no, you're gonna stay here. You stay here. Thank you. All right, we're gonna take. A very quick commercial break, and then poet and mother Damien Rogers will be joining us. Stay where you are. If you enjoy the Creative Control podcast and want to support it with a monthly pledge, please visit patreon.com 
slash creative control. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash creative control with two K's. You can pledge $1 a month or $4, $8, $30, $50, $100 a month, whatever you want. There are gifts and incentives to pledge. But more than anything, you can keep the show going. There's no other revenue stream for this podcast. I've been doing it for my own fulfillment and to contribute something to the culture. But I think it's time to see if I can generate some kind of salary from all of this work. So, if you appreciate Creative Control, again, please consider pledging a monthly amount. All of the info you need is at patreon.com slash Control. Thank you. Thank you, Bicycles. Sorry, we had to take a very quick commercial break because we're running out of time there. Uh, special thanks again, Don Pyle, for being on the show. And, I'm still uh, here. I know. I know. I know you're here. I'm painfully aware that you're still here, Don. No, I'm kidding. It's great to have you here. Uh, I want to introduce our next guest. She is the poetry editor at both House of Anansi Press and The Walrus. She's also... What? What did I say? You can talk into the microphone if you want to correct me. Go ahead. What did I say? I don't know what you said. I said House of Anansi. But it was wrong. Well, how do you say it? Anansi. Anansi? What am I saying? I don't know. (laughs) Our next guest is the poetry editor editor at both House of... You say it. No. Just say it in the microphone. No, I might get it. I don't want to get it wrong. I want to be paid if I say it. You know how much time this is taking? I'm not... No one's getting paid. Damien, please come out. House of Anansi Press and the Walrus. She's also published a uh, she's also a published poet herself, and her new collection, Dear Leader, is celebrating its release on Coach House Books. She's already out on stage. There's a star-studded book launch at the Drake Underground at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, March 24th. Please say hello to the very wise and lovely Damian Rogers. Damien, you got fake, but it's not fake coffee, it's water. How are you doing? It's water. I'm good. Hey, this welcome. It's really amazing. Thank Thanks. you for having me. Yeah, here. welcome to being outside of your house on a Friday night. It's pretty unusual, actually. You're a mom. I am a mom. So you're mostly, is this, is this actually I'm rare? I'm usually asleep by now, yeah. actually. Yeah, well. Um, I know. <laughs> I may fall asleep still. You so. might, uh, yeah, the way this segment plays out, you might be sleeping before the end of it. It's true. <laughs> no, I meant because I'm boring, not her. Jeez Louise. No, I... <laughs> I don't know. Now, uh, I want to ask you about your work, because here we are in a shaky landscape for cultural production, and you are a poet. Right. Um, how much money do you have? I, I have a lot of money. You have a lot? Uh, no, I have... I, I have, My joke now is I have a two-year-old and four jobs, and I'm making still considerably less than before I had a kid. So, I, yeah, I, it's funny. when you do, People really want to... People really love talking about money when you're a poet. I mean, first of all, oh, saying really? you're a poet. Yeah. Well, first I, of all, saying you're a poet feels like it took me so long to get over the discomfort of just using that word because it kind of feels like you're like I'm a unicorn. Um, <laughs> you know, like what the fuck? It's just so uh, self-aggrandizing sounding in a way. But but I, it's what you know, it's what I do. It's funny because it's one of the most specialized skill sets of any arts form. I yeah, think. Yeah. You know, people are so uncomfortable the way they talk about it. Like I was just at the. I uh, am a little uncomfortable. No, I know it's fine. Um, I was at. 
I did a collaborative retreat at Toronto Island Residency a couple weeks ago, which was uh, so cold. Uh, this is we like Gibraltar Point? Yeah, yeah. Gibraltar Point? But it was yeah. really great. And I went with this friend of mine who's a poet uh, who's from the States as well, but has been living here like four years. And we had a great time. But, you know, there's a communal kitchen, right? So most of the time we were just by ourselves. And then uh, every once in a while you'd run into someone in the kitchen, and it's fine usually. But um, there's this one guy, he was a photographer. And, I, and we, I didn't give a shit about what he was doing either. So it's not like I expected him to give a shit about what. Photography's a scam. I, <laughs> Like, click, it's not even, now I can do it with my phone. I got my phone here. Filters. Let's see, there's no poetry app. Eh, it's not, no. Well, I just didn't care about his project. It was like, I, maybe he's an amazing photographer, but I just, you know, I wasn't, I, you know, I, just, yeah. I didn't care. But, uh, you know, you're making small talk, and then, oh, like, oh, you're poets. And you could just, and he said, and it just, everything he said was stupid after that. <laughs> everything he said, like, it was so... Obvious, he said. Well, I feel like anything you do must seem like it's a masterpiece. Or, like, oh what, man! What does that mean? Or, or, you know, I mean, it's just another art form. I realize no one but the other practitioners of it care. But I mean, it's still How? not that. I mean, it's just one. You know, the big thing about poetry, and I think the reason people want to talk about money when they talk about I poetry, I didn't. I was making a joke. You wanna, I, you, no, but everybody I, does. But it's because you don't make anybody any money in poetry. Like you can't really make anybody. That any was money. the that was the joke. No, but not only can I not make. Oh. Like, you know what I mean? Like a visual artist, if you buy a sculpture and it goes up in value, like there's a commodity. Yeah, 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 you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? There's a, yeah. there's a whole business of commerce around other areas in the arts. Even if you don't participate in that economy, it's, it's there. But poetry, it's like you're really, which is incredibly liberating, actually, but, but does uh, marginalize the whole thing. As a medium, what are some of the limitations of poetry? We've talked about the economic ones and maybe <laughs> just basic cultural understanding. I, I mean, I think it's just a lack of audience, which is, is that why... That's pretty much it. To me, I think that's... I mean, because it's so huge, like, what happens in contemporary poetry. I mean, sound poets don't even use words, right? So, I mean, the... And then you have very conservative narrative poets who are basically writing like really short, short stories, mm -hmm. which I think can also be really beautiful. Uh, so there's this huge range of work, but most people are intimidated because they feel like you need to be uh, an expert in the field in order to... Uh, to get of, it? To get it, or yeah. even just to come near it, right? Um, and what's been really rewarding for me in some of the jobs that I do is trying to get poetry in front of people who don't normally read or hear contemporary poetry. Um, and, you know, like I also, one of the other things I do is I help, uh, I, I pick all the writers for Jason Collette's Yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna ask the you about this. You work yeah. really hard to bring poetry to different audiences and you've worked yeah. with, I think Jason Collette's here somewhere actually. He might be, he might not be here he yet. He may not want to be uh, featured at this point in the show. But uh, you have worked with him for his basement review thing in Toronto, mm -hmm. and, and I was going to ask you, like, can you tell us about why you wanted to do that? Well, one thing I really have enjoyed uh, is reading in front of audiences that are, are not accustomed to listening to poetry, because mm -hmm. I think that they listen more deeply, actually, than literary crowds. Literary crowds are often made up of people who want to publish um, or peers, and so they, they're actually not that interested in listening to each other. I mean, there's exceptions, but yeah. there aren't that many opportunities for poets to actually read in front of an audience that is open and has no pre, uh, 
conceptions of what your work is like or where it's positioned and you know there's all these little cliques in poetry there's a lot of genre you know everybody hates each other and poetry you know, sounds like terrible 16 of us to begin it with yeah, yeah poetry doesn't seem fun <laughs> at all i don't see I why know, i'm really this whole i really pictured myself coming out here and making the big sell <laughs> about how great poetry was i you, feel like i'm really sliding no you also are world. working with this it's a national poetry recitation contest for high school students is that something you're working on uh-huh what is that that that's you go around high schools convincing uh students that poetry is a terrible thing yes and they, and they shouldn't they get shouldn't involved do it. It's very catty. Uh, but I tell them that they should memorize other people's poems. For real? Yeah. Why? Well, I don't do it. I, like, I don't go to, yeah, but that's what the con The contest is... Uh, oh, that's right. Poetry recitation. It's, yeah. They're just saying the... Yeah, it's not oh, about okay. their own work. Huh. Which I think some people get sad about that. I think it's much better. Like, I think they, if they want to write, that's great. I wrote, I, was, I wrote the worst poetry in the world when I was 17. And I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad that... I wasn't doing it on stage in front of 400 people. But I think finding poems that you love, and that's another big thing that I get a lot of pleasure out of, is I pick the poems for the anthology that they can choose from. And mm -hmm. I work really hard to make sure there's um, interesting, really contemporary work that might be, uh, I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to introduce students who have won reciting a poem uh, to the poet who wrote the poem. Oh, nice. That same night. And that's really when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Really great for the poet as well as for the high school student. And I've also worked really hard to get work in there that they wouldn't normally be experiencing in a high school classroom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the one that won last year, Wolf Lake by Elizabeth Paczynski, is the poem that really won the crowd over and it's a poem about, it's written in the voice of a girl who's been killed by a guy that she knew when she was in high school, who she hooked up with to, you know, like, basically drink and get high with, like, in the woods, and he kills her. And so the way she tells the story is, like, very even and still and very eerie, and it's a great poem, but it's also a little bit inappropriate, maybe, for high school students in terms of what... It's inappropriate for my audience, frankly. Yeah. I, well, I think I'm sorry. I hope you're okay. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely pushing the edge of what I think some people might be comfortable with, the idea of, as a poem, but I think they're reading novels in high school in which there's this sort of adult content. They're certainly seeing things... Oh, kids know everything now, they know don't everything. they? Yeah. And so I think, it's, like, I, I think it's doing a real disservice to them to edit that out of the literature that they're encountering, and particularly poetry, because people assume poetry is quite 
safe, uh, and it definitely doesn't have to be. Okay. I want to move on to your new poetry collection, yes. Dear Leader. Is it weird that the title reminds me of both Kim Jong-il and Stephen Harper? I, well, the Harper thing's unfortunate. Um, oh, is it? Well, You're a big Kim Jong-il fan? I am, yeah. That's, <laughs> I, just, I just hate having Kim Jong-il dragged down by a, <laughs> having wow. him compared to Harper. Um, no, I, uh, I, I hadn't thought of the Harper but connection, but uh, it's not weird that it makes you think of, of charismatic and terrifyingly egocentric uh, cult leaders. Can you, what can you tell us about Dear Leader as a collection? Is it held together by common ideas, an overarching theme or anything? A little bit, yeah. Um, you know, as I was working on this book, uh, my mother was diagnosed with uh, frontal lobe dementia. And I'm an only child, and uh, she was single my whole life. So I, the, the work of taking care of her is, is really mine. Um, and it was a real struggle. She's, we're Amer I'm American. She's in the States. So um, the whole process of getting her help was really complicated. And you know, all these other things were going on in my life at the same time. But trying to uh, negotiate not only the emotional feelings, obviously, about um, watching someone that you love suffer like this, but, but watching the change to her brain and how it affected her personality and her memories and the way that she processed and stored and re, kind of reproduced information became really interesting to me. Uh, and I started doing research on uh, not just dementia, but paranoia and stuff like that. And, and there's... Uh, a lot of, if you become interested in things like conspiracy theories, there's actually a lot of stuff on the internet. Um, <laughs> you, might, you might be happy to know. Uh, but so uh, I went down kind of all these different little wormholes of uh, looking at how, and because what was really interesting and, and kind of scary and fascinating to me was also that a lot of the ways in which her um, delusions manifested themselves was incredibly similar to, uh, like, say, the types of stories people who think that Neil Peart is psychically uh, spying on their brain, which is on the internet. Um, Sorry, normal people think that Neil Peart and Rush? I didn't normal people. 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 Canadian people. Canadian people know, think... I don't know if she was Canadian, weirdly, but very oddly, Neil Peart was the fixation. But, but in terms of uh, the types of... People who go to, say, conferences um, about alien abduction. I mean, you can start painting this with a really wide brush, yeah. but, you know, they're, they're, very, they're all very obsessed with the Federal Reserve in the States, and, like, there's certain, you know, in the Masons, and there's sort of these... Uh, but there's these patterns, not just the subjects of, of what they're obsessed with, but there's these patterns about, like, these fears of being poisoned and of, um, you know, your money being stolen from you mm. and these... The shadow government, or this sort of shadow uh, hierarchy of power, that that's actually very similar to um, the kinds of delusions my mother started having as a result oh, of I this see. biological okay. function in her brain. Okay. Um, so I started kind of uh, playing with that and the idea of kind of uh, an imaginary cult leader. That I mean, it, I, I just kind of collaged all these different things together. We we are once again running out of time, but I wanted to get you to read a poem. Here. Can you read okay. a poem? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll read one of the shorter ones here. Also, because I had so much fun talking to Don and Scott backstage, 
Um, By the way, this is the uh, album, the, rather the book cover. No, it's called an album cover. It makes me sound so cool. Um, <laughs> what I love Are you about pressing this, this on vinyl, this poetry I, I book? I would love to. And, and it With would a download be so, code? Um, Andre Etier of Deadly Snakes and wonderful solo work and beautiful painter uh, was really generous and let me use... Can we get a shot of this on camera too? The cover. <laughs> <laughs> It's really pretty. Um, there's nothing in this. This is just the, yeah, anyway. So. Poetry seems harsh, man. It's really, yeah, it's, they just give you a little matchbook. Um, so this is one of the, there's a series of Dear Leader poems, so this is one of them. My memory is with me and it shall not be taken away, for I am a possessor of memories that make memories. I don't want to forget a single noun. I'll download what we witnessed. Remind me the day, the year, our planet's name and coordinates. Warning, don't eat food from another time. It invites poison into the ship. In Lemuria, I never paid to run the refrigerator. Oh lion, I'm an old handmaiden. I will not lie, lay the pretty baby down. I will not lay the pretty baby in the lap of the imposter. And my memories will not be siphoned from me by the administrator. Repel the reptilian who conspires to hide my memories before I enter the ocean unlimited. Get back, crocodile of the West, sent to snuff out the words yellow and money. I saw my enemy unhinge his jaw to suck down a kitten. Please lead me to safe paper. Help me write it down right. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice, Damien. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I do want to let people know that uh, there's a book launch for Dear Leader happening at the Drake on Tuesday, March 24th at 7 p.m. You've got a lot of special guests. Yeah, I have a lot of nice people coming and doing stuff. Yeah, um, Vanessa Dunn from Badge Halen is going to interview me. I know. You know, she filled in on this show once. I know. You know, that's one of the reasons I felt comfortable asking her. Oh, wow. I knew that. Because she had the chops. She had the chops, man. And uh, whatever, any excuse to sit on stage with her. She's great. Um, she's awesome and a pretty good friend. And uh, I've just asked a bunch of people. My husband, who's Mike Blitzky from the Sadies, is going to read a poem. And uh, They just cheered for your marriage. That's... I know. I love that. It's a good marriage. Yeah. Um, I, that's a weird thing to say. Uh, <laughs> I'm so, I'm sorry, I feel so clumsy up here. But um, no, no, you're doing fine. Uh, Taylor Knox, who's another. Dr I like drummers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I also um, Jason Collette and uh, a couple great poets, Walwyn and uh, Aisha Sasha John, and uh, Lynn Crosby, who's amazing and wrote a great blurb for the back of the book. Nice. And a bunch of people. I'm probably forgetting somebody who's good. It's just because I'm Well, nervous. for more information, people can visit chbooks.com, and you can follow Damien on Twitter, at Damien Rogers. How about a hand for Damien Rogers, everybody? <laughs> Coming up next on the show, Scott Thompson of Kids in the Hall. Stay where you are. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerotti, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. 
Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. We are back. We're back here on the season finale of Long Night. Thanks for coming, everybody. Um, as I say, it is the finale for this season, but uh, actually the fun isn't quite over for us yet. I'm happy to announce that uh, Long Night has been invited to appear at the Spur Festival in Toronto next month. We're ta- taking the show on the road. What's that? I don't know. It's, it, I don't think it's about basketball or cowboys, but it's called the Spur Festival. And um, on April 10th at the Transact, my guest will be journalist Rachel Geis. No, really? Sorry. <laughs> I'm being corrector here. Is it Rachel Geisa? Thank you. Uh, yeah, so Rachel will be on the show. Debut novelist Sabrina Ramnanan. Senior editor at Mother Jones, Daniel Shulman, will be joining me. And possibly even more. The show begins at 8 p.m. at the Transact. And for more info, please visit spurfestival.ca. And please come on down. You're all going to come, right? The, the applause lady just gave people the thumbs up, even though she has an applause sign in her hands. What were you doing? I uh, was making eye contact with people being like, you're coming, right? Oh, okay. That's not creepy at all. Thanks, Linda. <laughs> Our next guest is an Emmy-nominated actor, writer, and comedian who appears on the groundbreaking NBC hit Hannibal, and he was also a featured performer in my favorite television comedy program of all time, HBO's The Larry Sanders Show. He is a member of the iconic comedy troupe Kids in the Hall, who are touring this spring, including shows at the Danforth Music Hall on April 23rd, 25th, and 26th. It's our great pleasure to welcome him to the program. Please make some noise for Scott Thompson. Hi there, how you doing? I'm well, how are you? Good. You said to bring something, so uh, I brought uh, my graphic novel. Yes, I didn't know you had a graphic novel. And uh, for you too, because I knew there was a co-host. Oh, it's Danny Husk. Yes, it is. It's the Danny Husk Adventures. Amazing. That's great. We'll talk more about this in uh, in a little bit. I want to, as you may have heard... Uh, we don't have a lot of time. The show has uh, been taking a lot more time than yeah. usual, and I want to. It's some- not often that a drummer and a poet go on like that. I know. <laughs> a drummer and a poet. <laughs> uh, as I understand it, at some point you moved away from Brampton and a lot of excellent Indian food options. Absolutely. To live in Toronto, right? Yeah. You don't really leave Brampton. <laughs> you can't leave Brampton. How is that? It's, it's in you. <laughs> Kind of like Indian food. It's like, yes, Brampton repeats. <laughs> <laughs> what was your upbringing like in Brampton? Was it okay? Yeah, it was great. Um, you, you know, I was there before the Indians arrived. I, I was there... Oh, I didn't mean that's why it was great. Because <laughs> honestly... I'm getting a little offended. No, 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 no. <laughs> honestly... <laughs> If it had been, I, no, no. When the Indians started to arrive, I was thrilled, and I was like, "Why can't I be born ten years later?" Right. Because nice I, save, I, Scott. I like, nice save. <laughs> no, but when I was there, I'm gonna try to save myself even. <laughs> when I was there, it was just Anglo's and the Portuguese. Does that help out? It's just sure. The Portuguese were standing in for real people of color. <laughs> <laughs> 
They were like placeholders. Sure. For the Indian. That's what we like to say about Portuguese, where I'm from. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> look, when I was look, I, I, when I was young, the Portuguese were considered white. Right. Okay, good. I'm glad we cleared that up for people. I read somewhere that you went to York University but were asked to leave for being too disruptive. Is that even possible? It is po It's true. I didn't... Yeah, I was kicked out of the program. Why? What were you doing? I did a lot of stupid things. Um, Talked about the Portuguese and the Indians? Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. I don't know. I did... I don't know. I was kind of... Uh, I didn't have a lot of control. And uh, I... I uh, <laughs> And I, you know, as you get older, you learn how to control your, your stealth. And uh, uh, I, I got, I, I was, I acted out a lot. I didn't really, I came from a very large family, all of boys, and so I, I had a lot of, what's that, violence in me. So all my improvisations always ended up in a, in a, a scrap, and that wasn't good. Um, and then I, I don't know, I, I didn't really, I just, I acted up a lot, and I did this, I, I, I scratched my name on the floor with scissors, and I don't know, I... I challenged the teacher to a fight, and how did they find out who did it? Uh-huh. Well, I scratched my name. Your <laughs> That was when they kicked me out. When they threw me out of school, I went back drunk to the uh, to the audit where I where the cl the classes were. I was in acting, and I took a pair of scissors and I scratched my name on it, saying Scott Thompson was here, and it's still there. I mean, oh the and most... then I said my teachers, and I went and pissed on the doors of every teacher, every faculty head. I think the most. <laughs> The most no, remarkable thing no. about this story, though, Scott, is that clearly you were in university at four years old. That's amazing <laughs> that you accelerated to that point, but were still too immature to keep your penis I, in your I, pants. This, you know, but it was very lucky. I wanted to be a dramatic actor, and then I yeah. met the kids in the hall, and that changed everything. So. It, is, it has occurred to me recently that in my obsession with kids in the hall on TV and getting to see you live once after the show ended, I think I related to your comedy on a punk rock level. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yes. like you guys were subversive and weird and challenging mainstream ideas of comedy. Was punk rock yep. and its rebelliousness, re rebelliousness important to you? Yeah, because I was actually, when I met the kids in the hall, I was actually in a punk band as well. Oh. Uh, do you remember <laughs> Mouth Congress? Mouth Congress? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is a, another Indian connection, which is, um, which is a, the Kama Sutra. And, um, it's what the Kama Sutra refers to as Blowjobs. Mouth Congress. Yeah, it's an Indian way of saying blowjobs. How do you say uh, How do you say that in Portuguese? Oh, fuda. You know that off the top of your head. I know. I, I know a bunch of Portuguese stuff. Okay. But, yeah. uh, Mouth Congress. That's an amazing. And I, 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 we were terrible, John. No, you were great. We were fun. I sang. And you were the singer. I, but I mostly just took my clothes off. And, there were a lot of right? skirts. A lot of grass skirts. I wore a lot of grass skirts and wigs, and then it all, every show would end with me fucking a monitor. That was, <laughs> that was my thing. And then my thing, and I, I did it with Paul Bellini, who oh, was yeah, on the yeah. show, and he was the guy in the towel. And, and we were like the front men for the band, but it was a whole group of, of musicians, like real musicians. Yeah. We were just, we weren't musicians. We were just... We were the poets, and <laughs> and we he went to too. yeah and we did, and we did we did ridiculous shows. We never had any real success, but and every time we did a show, we do brand new things. And I at the time though, I was thinking that I would become a I wanted to be a rock star. And then I met the kids in the hall. Then I was like, oh, comedy star, rock star, which one? Do I, why don't I be both? And then so with Mouth Congress, what happened was 
I, I knew I couldn't sing. So my intros to the songs got longer and longer and funnier. And then I realized I should just be doing intros. And then that kind of turned. And then I met the kids in the hall and I went, oh, I should do comedy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because so they looked, they seemed like as, as kind of crazy as, as, as I was at, at the time. Right, right. I want to get back to Kids in the Hall, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you some Larry Sanders show questions. Oh, yeah. As you may have heard, it, uh, it means a lot to me. And I think the show changed television. It spawned the kind of stuff, fake reality stuff. We've seen it on Curb Your Enthusiasm and Extras and Entourage. Do you feel like that show gets enough credit? No, I don't. It, no. Uh, it's really weird to me. No, absolutely not. I, I, I can't believe uh, people... I think it should, when everything is, comes from Larry Sanders. I actually firmly agree with you. I'm not saying that. Yeah. yeah it's really true. I mean, Gary Shandling is, you know, you don't meet many people in your life that you can call geniuses. He's, he's an authentic genius. He really is a genius. Absolutely. And I don't think people recognize it. And he's been a bit reclusive. Have you, what was like Gary. Now? Have you talked to him in recent no, years? No, the last time I saw Gary was about uh, maybe six years ago, seven years ago, when they did the box set. Oh, yeah. And I went down and did some DVD uh, commentary. You're in a bathtub. In a bathtub, yeah. Doing the feature commentary. <laughs> yeah, it's and that was, that was the last time I saw Gary. I mean, oh, okay. I've spoken to him. Uh, I was supposed to do something with Entertainment Weekly, but no. He's a recluse. He lives in um, Tahiti, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. So he's I, mean, I don't know if he's a recluse there, but um, <laughs> probably not. He, he, shows, he goes out. Yeah, he goes out. He shows up from time to time. Gra in his grass skirt. In his yeah. grass skirt. Yeah. That was, your, your role on, on Larry Sanders was your first major role after Kids in the Hall, wasn't yeah, it? it was. Yeah. Was it intimidating for you? Terrifying, yeah. Because I didn't really know, even though I'd gone to York and I'd studied to be a real actor, um, once I met the Kids in the Hall, they beat that out of me. And um, so when I met, uh, when I went on to that show, I realized I had to act. And I was nervous because I, 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 my, my rhythms were all so comic. But yeah. Gary and I, but Gary was very calm. He's like Scott, just just do the line. <laughs> don't try to be funny. Yeah, and your character is actually quite straight, if you don't he, mind me saying. No, he is. He's and that was the thing. I, my thing was I decided that everybody in the show was such a loon, and and so narcissistic and selfish and all the rest of it that I thought I'm going to be grounded. Yeah. And I knew that I, he wanted me to play a gay character, and I said, Oh God, okay. But I said, as long as I don't have to be like a snack queen or something. Right. So I thought I'm going to be a real kind of a down-to-earth guy. And I said, I want to be Canadian. I think that's really radical. <laughs> He's like, no, I don't know. You can't do that. <laughs> no one will believe that's it. That's not funny. Huh? That's not funny. That's too far. Yeah, I said, I want, I'm from B. I'm from BC. And uh, I'm... Almost American. Almost. Yeah, it is. And then... Uh, in, I, and is, in some ways, you were the one of the first... Generally, like you were uh, not a flamboyant gay no, character on no, TV, not, no. and that was that didn't. Well, really there was no one. There were yeah. almost no real. It was very normal. Like, I mean, there, it was, were, there were hardly any gay people anywhere. Open, right. Anywhere. Right. Um, and if you did, you had to be flam super flamboyant. But that then show, I had Buddy to cover the to cover that. So <laughs> that show is just remarkable. Now you're on this show, Hannibal. It's become yeah. quite a hit, and I remember being very happy when you showed up on screen. <laughs> That's. It's a pretty amazing show. It's a thrilling crime show yeah, on a major net network. What's it like working on something like that? Well, you know, it's surprising that it's probably the, the most fun I've had since Larry Sanders. And, and, and it's the most um, uh, easygoing group you're ever going to see. Yeah. Everybody's funny. No one takes it seriously. The moment they call cut, even if you've got like a dead baby in front of you, it's like, take a look at this chick or whatever, you know. <laughs> She'll never get laid. I don't, I, I don't know. But 
you know what I'm talking about. There's no, there's no one's, no one's ever in character. Or like they don't walk around like Daniel Day Lewis or anything stupid oh, like okay. that. Okay. It's a very intense show. It's being received well. Are you surprised it's going so well on a network show? Yeah. Like it's. Yeah, I, I am. I'm surprised that NBC is going as far as they're going. Yeah. I think it's because. I mean, network television's in, in free fall. It doesn't know what to do. How does it compete with cable? I mean, I mean, they're so crazy on network TV now. They give me a gun. I mean, that's how bad things are. Right. So. What do you mean? When you leave the set? No. <laughs> yeah, when I leave, it's very dangerous. We're okay. in Mississauga. Um, we're near square one, so, you know. <laughs> pretty scary parking lots out there. And you... And, uh, well, since Hazel left, my God, it's become a war zone. <laughs> She was keeping the lid on. Yeah. That I, Portuguese Indian tension is exploding. <laughs> you recently began doing stand-up regularly? Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably what this is what explains this. See, before I wouldn't have done this, but now I'm like, I Wait, get the you wouldn't, and I just want to jump up and do a set. When you know. say you wouldn't have done this, do you mean a show of this caliber, or do you mean... <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, I wouldn't have been so... Uh, uh, verbose and uh, no, it's comfortable with the mic. Oh well, it's and you're enjoying stand-up. This is a, I'm loving it. Yeah. What kinds of stuff do you talk about? Uh, I talk a lot about Brampton. Oh, you do. <laughs> I do do quite a bit on Brampton. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I talk a, a lot about sex, um, race. Religion, <laughs> like all the good stuff. You cover the stand-up well, comedy. Well, I, I talk a lot about. It's interesting stand-up now. I mean, I, I'm I'm late to the game. I mean, I I tried to be a stand-up years ago. When I finished York University and I was trying to be an actor, I thought I would be a stand-up. And I used to go to Yuck Yucks and do um, amateur nights. But you have to remember, back in the mid '80s, that you could not be an openly gay. Canadian. Yeah, yeah. That was scum. You were scum, and they were so awful. The experience was so terrible that I just couldn't do it. And then I met the kids in the hall, and everything changed. But then now we live in a completely different world. It's 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 unbelievably it changed. Yeah. And I can be myself. And before I was always like, you know, you had to spend the first ten minutes breaking down the walls. Now people just accept you, and it's it's remarkable. Yeah. And so I can just be funny. And that's, that's an unbelievable gift. It's, it's, a, it's a joy. And they just take, yeah, it is. I mean, it's incredible. It used to be I, I would spend most of my time when my gut would be churning because I wouldn't know someone would call me a faggot or, do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. One time at Yuck Yucks, I got, you know, people waited outside to beat me up. And th all those things happened all the time. But now it's so different. So now stand-up has been a really great way for me to just get things out of my system. But now, stand-up's really under fire, like comedy's under fire. Because, so. well, we've gotten <laughs> ultra-sensitive, too sensitive. And people, comedians now are really self-censoring and shutting themselves down. And they're not going into those topics that I love, race, sex, religion. And I find I'm the only one. <laughs> and I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I find a lot of young comics, they just don't want to go there because political correctness is doing a real stranglehold oh. on, the, on I think, the West. It's weird that it's reared its head so strongly. Like, I remember the late 80s, 90s. Remember? That's yes. when PC stuff was at its yes, height. Yes, it was. And now it seems to have swung back around stronger than it was even back then. I thought it was dead. Yeah. And, you like that baby in the set of Hannibal? Is that? <laughs> Never mind, sorry. 
I mean, even that dead, on I, PC I callback. The dead baby. That I shouldn't have made a joke. Yeah, yeah, I shouldn't have made. It's really inappropriate. I'm very upset. I know. I, you're a mother. Damien's a mother. I'm a father. I think it's Facebook. It's Facebook that does that. You think Facebook is yeah. killing babies? I agree. I, uh, I think face, Facebook is a big part of the, the culture of indignation yes. because it's like you're reading a non-stop comment yeah. section. Right. It's right. like what used to be, you know, the thing that you would read after the article, now you're just yeah. reading yeah. just reading that and it's like, you know, a, a non-stop forum for indignation which breeds political correctness. Yeah, yeah. And it makes people feel special. Yeah. Everybody needs to know I'm angry about that crack. <laughs> no one cares what you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Fuck off! Stay home! That's my... Stay the fuck home. Stay the fuck home, Scott Thompson says. All right. <laughs> right, Mama? Absolutely. Right. Uh, I want to see that on the poster yeah, for your next stand. It's terrible now. I mean, I, Scott... Yeah. First time it's worse than the first time Well, the first time around... Because you were in the kids in the hall then. And yeah, we were always in trouble. Was, yeah. We were always... Well, you trouble. even were in the kids. It was, you know, it was kind of militant at the time. Oh, too, God, and gay people hated me. Oh God, they were the worst. Gay gay people, gay were, the people worst? were the worst. <laughs> why? I say that all the time. Why uh, why did the gay people hate you? Well, all of them, every single one. You, I I can you, tell you one thing, one reason why. He know Don knows. We were the gay guys on the show. I, I, you are the gay guys. I, that I was love the programming. You so, so much for doing this. That at the the height of kind of like total you know AIDS fear. Yeah. Scott appeared on the cover of the Advocate, a newspaper, with written across his chest, silence equals relaxation. <laughs> I did. Because they had the, the AIDS thing was silence equals death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you, what you also don't know, I was naked. That was all painted. I know. Remember? Yeah, I completely nude on the cover. And it looked like I was wearing clothes, but it was really silence equals relaxation. And after that, the gay mafia, I was done. <laughs> Done. We really have to move along uh, here, Scott. Uh, uh, I wanted to ask you about the Kids in the Hall reunion. Are you guys writing new material? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. That's great. There will be some, there'll be some classics, yeah. but there'll be a lot of new material, yeah. Okay, cool. And then what's this? This is my graphic novel. This is the book one. It's the series is called Husk. It's a trilogy. And this is the adventures of Danny Husk, my character, my businessman character, at the center of the earth. And it's his adventures. Yeah. Why it's, would you it's take fantasy? Danny. <laughs> businessman at the center yeah. of the earth. Yeah, and he and he falls through a hole. And he and he ends up as a sex slave. And he loves it. You don't say. Yeah, he, he just has to, all he has to do is, you know, like perform and Three times a day, and he's is there a lot of mouth congress. A lot of it. And he, a lot and, of mouth congress. He, he just he just basically just goes. He just fucks his brains out at the center of the earth. This will be all right. Uh, once again, Kids of the Hall are touring this spring, including shows at the Danforth Music Hall on April twenty third, twenty fifth, and twenty sixth. Uh, you can follow uh, Scott on Twitter at Scott Thompson, and then you got the underscore. Underscore, yeah. Underscore at the end. <laughs> Lame. And uh, <laughs> I apologize for the underscore. <laughs> and yeah. Kids in the Hall can be found at K I T H so online. Scott Thompson it was a great pleasure to have you on the Thank show. You, Thank you very much. All right, stay where you are. Coming up next.
a performance by Overnight. You don't want to miss this. Stay where you are. Thank you. Get ready for Kazoo Fest 2015, taking place throughout Guelph between April 8th and 12th. Musical acts include Deerhoof, Home Shake, Last X, Fedre, Scott Merritt, Tyvek, Lido Pimienta, Absolutely Free, Jeffrey Lewis, and many, many more. There will be art by Sherry Boyle and Jen E. Norton, plus dance, print, multimedia, and much more. Visit kazookazoo.ca for ticket and schedule info, and do not miss Kazoo Fest in Guelph this April. everybody welcome back all right our next guests are a band from toronto featuring two members of the influential and no longer functioning halifax pop band plum tree sister yeah sisters carla and lynette gillis have kept themselves busy since the end of plum tree and they're here to play a song from their brand new album carry me home hey everyone please make some noise for overnight
Nice one. One more time, everybody, for Overnight. Once again, the band's new album is right here. It's called Carry Me Home, and they have copies of it for sale tonight. So if you want one, come see the band after the show. That's our show. Thanks to all of the Long Night crew, the Long Winter crew, and our guests tonight. We'll see you all at the Spur Festival on April 10th or in November at Long Winter. Go circulate around the building and have some fun, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thanks, bicycles. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.